I like listening to podcasts. I like listening to all kinds of podcasts, but some of my favorite podcasts to listen to are stories of veterans, interviews of veterans who have lived extraordinary lives and done extraordinary things. And so recently I was listening to one of those, and, and this particular veteran, former Green Beret uh, soldier, uh, was telling a story of whenever he was growing up, his dad was talking to him, and his dad told him a story. His dad said, at the, this one house in this one place on this back porch, there were two men sitting there, and the two men sitting there were both kind of in the twilight of their lives, and they were looking back on all that they had done and not done. And the first man thought about his life and realized he had never really failed at anything. He had never experienced failure. But it wasn't because he was wildly successful. He had never experienced failure because he had never really tried anything difficult. He had never gotten out of his comfort zone. He had never risked anything. He had never stretched himself and tried to accomplish something he didn't think he could. So he had never failed. But on the same token, he had never really succeeded at anything. He hadn't lived a life worth living by any, anyone's count. Similarly, he had never experienced heartache. He had never experienced loss, but it wasn't because no one around him had ever left him or passed away. It was because he had never loved anyone. He had never loved anyone. He had never received love, but he had never experienced heartache. At the same time, the other old man was sitting next to him, and he was looking back on his life, and he thought, you know what, I have, I have lost a lot. I have failed a lot. But the reason was because he had tried a lot of things. He had risked a lot. He had gotten out of his comfort zone and tried to do things that, that didn't feel comfortable to him. So because of that, he had failed. But at the same time, he had succeeded at so many things. He had climbed the mountains, so to speak, and reached the mountaintops. He had loved and he had received love, even though he had experienced loss. And so the, the veteran's dad asked him, he said, which of these two men lived a life that was fulfilling? Which one is satisfied with their lives? And the veteran said, well, it seems pretty obvious, the one who's experienced the failure and the loss, but has also experienced love and success. And his dad said, right. Later, that boy became a man and joined the Navy, served a, a full contract in the Navy, switched to the Air Force, and he had made it halfway through that contract when he realized that He'd spent all of these years training to do things that he had never actually done. He had never been in combat. He had never fulfilled the purpose for which he served in the military. He had never put any of the things that he had been trained to do into action. So he learned that there was a way that he could transfer and become uh, an army enlisted person. And he could go through the Q course and potentially, if he passes that, get selected to be a Green Beret. He thought, "I'm I'm not a Green Beret. I'm not someone who can become that. And so I don't know that I want to step out and try that. But then his dad's story came to his mind and he said, I don't want to be the first old man. I want to be the second old man. So if I fail, I fail. But he gave it his best shot. Long story short, he became a Green Beret. He was uh, deployed uh, to where he fulfilled the purpose for which he joined the military, where he put his training into uh, good use. And although he Uh, lost a lot in that deployment, he wouldn't trade it for the world. So why do I tell this story? seems odd to start a sermon with that story maybe, but I think it's 
it's worth telling because it, it parallels the two paths that Christians have. We can live a life of comfort and ease where we never get out of our comfort zone, where we never risk anything, where we live as gray, lukewarm Christians. And when we reach the end of our lives, when we stand before God, we're going to look back and we're going to say there was so much we would have wished we would have done differently. There's so much we would have wished that we could change, but now it's too late. Or we could change paths and we could get on another path where we, we choose to, as Jesus said, pick up our cross daily and follow him. Where we choose to risk everything, risk our reputation, risk our comfort, risk our uh, relationships even, all for the sake of Christ, for his name, for his glory, for his kingdom. We can live for his kingdom and not ours. And at the end of this life, when we stand before God, as we all will, we can stand confidently and we can say, we can echo Paul's words and say, we fought the good fight. We ran the race. We kept the faith. But we have to make that decision. That doesn't come naturally. So our culture tells us that there are three things that we're not supposed to talk about, right? Money, politics, and God, faith. If you're in the public square, if you're around people who are uh, not like-minded, who aren't already Christians, you're not supposed to share your faith. It's rude. It's uncouth. And so we're supposed to have a private faith. But the question I want to ask us today is, is that possible? If you will, go ahead and turn to Luke 8. We're going to be reading verses 4 through 16. And today I want us to consider the question, is it possible for us to be Faithful disciples of Jesus, faithful followers of Jesus. That is, people who learn from Jesus, who follow the template of life and ministry that he laid out, who obey him, allow him to be Lord over our lives. Is it possible for us to be faithful by his standards and have a private faith where we don't share our faith with people who aren't Christians already? I think we're going to see that the answer is no. So Luke 8, verses 4 through 16, we'll read them now. And when a great crowd was gathered and people from, that from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and it grew and it yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they might not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while 
and in a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who, hear, that those who enter may see the light. The parable of the sower is one of Jesus' most popular, most famous Parables. If you've been around church for any amount of time, you've heard this parable. And more than likely, you've heard it, the explanation of it, focus on what each soil stands for. And practically what that might look like in our lives. And, and then what we do is we sit in the pews and in the chairs and we start thinking about, okay, this person would fit in this soil, this person would fit in this soil. And we start classifying people according to soils. But I don't think that's the reason that Jesus told this parable. If, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 8, you'll see that Luke sets the stage and he sets the context for this parable. And he says, soon afterward, he, was, he went on through cities and villages claiming and uh, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And then he goes on to to list some of the people who were with him. And then he goes directly into Jesus telling this parable of the sower. And it was only after the disciples asked about the meaning of the parable and the soils, and he doesn't do that, and they don't ask in Luke, but if you look in Matthew 13, you'll see that the disciples ask, what does this mean? And then Jesus expounds on the different types of soils. But what was Jesus' point in talking about sowing seeds the way that he was sowing it? The, the purpose was he was sowing seeds on all different kinds of soils. Jesus' parable wasn't, there was once a sower, and he took his seed out of his satchel, and he looked around at the dirt around him, and he said, I'm not going to put it there because that would be a bad decision. It's a rock. It's not, going to, it's not going to grow there. And I'm not going to put it over here because there's thorns. And of course it's not going to grow up if there's thorns. And I would put it here. This looks good, but it's on a path. And chances are someone's going to trample it. Birds are going to eat it. So I'm not going to do it. But over here, look at this little patch of dirt. I'm going to dig a little hole. I'm going to put my seed in it. I'm going to cover it up, put a barrier around it and water it. And I bet a stalk is going to grow there. That's not the parable that Jesus told. Jesus was going through the cities, proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming the gospel like this sower. The sower in the parable represents Jesus and the way that he was doing evangelism. He was taking handfuls of seed and he was throwing it. Whatever it landed on, it landed on and he trusted God to give it growth. That was the way that Jesus did evangelism. And it wasn't only the way that Jesus did evangelism. It was the way he anticipated and expected his disciples to do evangelism. Think about the times when he sent his disciples out, sent the 72 out into the, the towns and the villages just to proclaim the gospel. They weren't spending time getting to know everyone and inspecting everyone's soils to determine 
who they were going to put a seed in, they were scattering seed everywhere and, and just seeing what God did with it because that's what God, that's what Jesus expected from them. And so I ask, is that how you, as a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, sow seeds? Is that how we, as a people of Harvest Church, who exist to grow and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ, is that how we sow seeds? Or are we busy inspecting soils? What would it look like to be a soil inspector instead of a sower like the person in the parable? It would look like being someone who only ever shares your faith if someone asks you about your faith. It would look like only sharing your faith with people who are maybe already in the hardships of life and they're, they're looking for hope somewhere and so you think, I'll give this person some hope. Or it might look like someone who only shares with people who are clearly searching for something. Clearly searching for a higher power, looking for something spiritual. And so you think, hey, let me tell you, let me tell you about the, the Most High God. Let me tell you about, about Him. Or it might... Being a soil inspector might look like being someone who just doesn't share with people who are already decidedly in another religion, already decidedly non-Christian. So you think, well, not going to share with them. Might look like not sharing with people who have already shown uh, in just antagonism towards the Christian faith or, or have abrasive personalities, whatever it is. If we look at Jesus' template, Jesus shared with everyone. He shared with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. He shared with Pharisees and Sadducees. He shared with Samaritans. He shared with everyone. Didn't matter what kind of soil they had. He shared with everyone. And so I, I ask us to look at ourselves. Here, I liked the way Chris asked us. You know, we're, we're all too sophisticated to have New Year's resolutions. But maybe we do have missions and objectives, I think is what he called them. I want us to consider having a mission and an objective for the coming year to be sowers like Jesus, to be those who sow the word of God, who, who share the light of Jesus Christ with the world around us the way that Jesus expected us to instead of the way that our culture tells us we should. Jesus' last thing that he said to his disciples, and this went for all people, who would follow him was the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When we hear that verse and when we think of the Great Commission, oftentimes we think of going to some far off land and going to the unreached people groups of the world, taking the word to the places where they haven't heard it. And we should think about that. That should be a weight on our shoulders that all of us carry to some degree. But we all live in a nation. And this nation has a lot of people who aren't believers in Jesus, who aren't already Christians. Inherent in the Great Commission is making disciples of people who are not already disciples. People who haven't been baptized, who, who haven't believed in the name of Jesus. Making disciples of them. And we are surrounded by those people. And so I ask you, are you sowing seeds? 
Are you sharing your faith with them? Are you making disciples of them? Look back over the last year of your life. We're at the end of 2023, so let's narrow our, our view to 2023 and, and look back and I want you to see what kind of harvest has your life produced? Have you seen a harvest? If the answer is no, then I would, I would contend that it's not because Jesus doesn't want there to be. In fact, just a few chapters after what we read today in Luke 10, verse 2, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I would submit that if our lives are not witnessing any harvest, it might be because we're not laboring. It might be because we're not sowing seeds. And I don't think anyone in here is not sowing seeds because they don't care, because they don't want to. Maybe you're hearing this, this message and you're thinking, I'm killing it. <laughs> I'm doing really well. I'm sharing with everyone I meet and praise the Lord if that's your story. There are some people in here like that. But I think more of us are probably in the boat that I find myself in, which is I struggle in this area. And it's not, like I said, it's not because I don't want to share. It's not because I don't think that it's important. It's because I don't think about it. It's because I can come to the end of my week oftentimes and look back and think, I didn't share anything of spiritual significance with anyone who's an unbeliever this week, but not because I don't love them, not because I don't want them to know, but because I don't think about it, because I allow my calendar to get in my way because I allow the problems that come up at work because I allow not that there's ever any problems at my work that's hypothetical uh, but because I allow the things that come up in my life to distract me I don't think about sharing my faith with the world around me I hide the lamp so to speak of the light that I've been given and if that's you if you can relate to that I want you to join me in asking the question, why? Why don't we think about it? Think about a car enthusiast, someone who loves cars. Oftentimes they can find a way to bring up cars in conversations. They can find a way to talk about whatever car they're restoring or whatever they're working on because that's what they care about. Or, or maybe at this point of the year we can think about football, college football enthusiasts. Even if you don't want to talk to them about the game yesterday, they're going to bring it up, especially if they're an Ole Miss fan today, right? <laughs> they're going to bring it up. Or the best example, grandparents. If a grandparent has their first grandchild, or scratch that, if a grandparent has their 10th grandchild and it's the newest grandchild, what are you going to get to hear about and see as soon as you talk to them? You're going to hear about this new grandbaby and you're going to see 10 pictures that were totally unsolicited. And it's just going to happen because that's what grandparents care about. That's what's stirring their affections at that time. And that, that principle is transferable to our spiritual lives. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if 
we find that we're never talking about Jesus, if we're never talking about how much we love him, about what he's done in our lives, about how good he's been to us, what does that tell us about our hearts? That should be a warning light. That should be a red flag. That should be something that causes us to pause and consider what it is that we cherish most in our hearts. What is it that changes in, in the Christian's life? There's, there's a term we have for new believers. Oftentimes we'll, call it, we'll say that they're on fire. And what does that mean if we say that, that person's on fire right now? It means that person is sharing his faith with everything that has ears, regardless whether or not they want to hear about it. And people like me, before I became a believer, there were, I had some friends who became Christians, and I stayed away from them while they were in that stage because I knew what was going to happen. They were going to share, and I didn't want to hear it. But we, have, we, we call those people on fire, and I think that the implications that that, that idea has, that have, calling them on fire or making it seem as though there's something exceptional, should be an indictment on all of us because I think the better term for that is obedient. Those people are the type of disciple that Jesus expected all of us to be. Sowing seed everywhere. So what happens in the Christian life that takes us from being on fire, sowing seed everywhere, not even having to be told to do so, but we just do it naturally. And then one, two, three, five, ten years later, we find ourselves a lot more lukewarm. We find ourselves a lot more... Uh, reticent to share our faith, a lot more uncomfortable sharing our faith with people who don't share our faith. I would say it's not the seed that we've received. The seed, Jesus said, is the word of God. It's, it's the, it's, his word has not changed that what we received that sparked that fire in us initially has not changed. But I think our soil can Anyone who's ever farmed or gardened, you know that good soil doesn't remain good soil forever if you just ignore it. Good soil can become rocky soil. Good soil can become thorny soil. Weeds can grow up if you just leave it alone entirely. You never till it. You never water it. You never do anything to it. Soil can become hard. And I think the same is true of spiritual soil. We can allow thorns to grow up as Christians. We can allow thorns to grow up in our lives. We can allow things, cares of this world to infiltrate our lives and and our, our hearts can become hard. This is the same idea that Paul carried whenever he told Timothy to fan into flame the gift that has been given to him. Why did he tell him to fan into flame the gift that had been given to him? It was because... Paul knew that even his disciple Timothy, who was being used in such beautiful ways in the early church, even he could be given to growing cold, growing lukewarm in his faith if he didn't intentionally fan into flame the gift that had been given to him. When I look back on my life as a Christian, I can can see seasons when I had a bright red flame, so to speak. My soil was good. And in those seasons, my life produced fruit that was a blessing not just to me, but to the world around me, to the unbelieving world and to the believing world around me. God used me 
in good ways, that, that was fruitful. But then other seasons of my life, I can look back and I can see I wasn't very fruitful. I can see that my heart was much harder, that I didn't share my faith, that I didn't I was a lot more apathetic towards the Word of God, toward prayer, toward anything of the spiritual realm. And typically, if I look back at those seasons, one of a few options were true. Maybe there was a besetting sin in my life that I just wasn't willing to repent of. I wasn't willing to uh, yield to Jesus. I wasn't allowed to, or I wasn't allowing Him to just take full lordship over my life. Or maybe there was bitterness that I just wasn't willing to let go of or unforgiveness that I wasn't willing to forgive someone with the same forgiveness that I had received. Other times there wasn't, uh, there wasn't a besetting sin or bitterness or unforgiveness of note, but I was just not investing in my spiritual walk. I was ignoring my spiritual life altogether. And in those seasons, I became hard. Y'all, it's important for us to fan into flame the gift that we've been given. It's important for us to take care of our soil so that our hearts don't grow cold. And so here at the end of 2023, as we're coming up with our missions and objectives for next year, I want to ask, like, where are you right now? What kind of soil is your heart right now? What kind of flame is burning in your heart right now? If you're more lukewarm than you want to be, if you're not producing the harvest, Jesus said a good soil produces a fold of a hundredfold. A harvest of a hundredfold. If, if, if that's not, if you feel like you're nowhere even close to that, I, I want to ask you, what can you do in your life to fan into flame the gift that you've received. Some things you can do is just be in the Word regularly. Next year, we're going to have a reading plan that we do as Harvest Church where we read through the Bible together, and I invite all of us to be a part of that. If the seed is the Word of God, if the seed we're supposed to spread is the Word of God, and we're not in the Word of God, we're not receiving it ourselves, it's almost guaranteed we're not going to be sharing it with others, right? You can't share what you don't have. So if, if you need help reading the Bible or, or, or accountability in that, I, I invite you, join us as we read the Bible together in 2024. But another way to fan into flame the gift that you've received to take care of your soil is to be in community. If you're trying to live the life of, of a Christian all by yourself, away from the people of God, amidst a lot of unbelievers and a lot of people who don't care about the things that we care about as Christians, you are almost guaranteed to grow cold and hard. Here at Harvest Church, and next month we're going to start all of our groups again. D groups will begin before church. Uh, Rise Up will begin for men on Monday mornings, coming together here at the church, reading the word, encouraging one another. Heart-to-heart -heart groups will start again. Life groups will start again. If you're not plugged into community, I invite you, plug in. This isn't something we were supposed to do on our own. This isn't something we were supposed to do by ourselves. Sometimes we can't fan our flames. Sometimes we can't encourage ourselves. And that's what the body of Christ is for. We do this together. 
But another way that we can fan our flame that is a little bit counterintuitive is by sharing our faith with others. In Philemon 6, we see Paul writes, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. There's a way in which God uses our sharing our faith, our sharing the gospel, to show us more about himself, to remind us of who he is, to, to remind us of the grace that we've been shown, to increase our love for him. And so if we're not sharing our faith regularly, we're not only denying the world around us the hope that we have. We're not only hiding our light from them. We're depriving ourselves of coming to a deeper knowledge and a, and a more a full knowledge of Jesus. Our love will grow cold if we're never sharing. It's just part of kingdom economics, the way God works. He uses our obedience to sow seeds to encourage our own hearts. And so what I want us to do today as, as we're wrapping up this sermon is, is I want us to take a moment and think about who is in my life that I can share with? Who is in my life that I want to set myself 2024, I want to share with this person. We've all heard the adage to, to fail to plan is to fail is, is to plan to, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. We have to have a plan. We can say, okay, I'm going to share more regularly. But if we don't have a face, if we don't have a, a person in mind, then we probably won't. But if we have that one person in mind that we're going to be sharing with, that we think, okay, God has put this person, this unbeliever in my life, and maybe you felt prompted by God to share with them and you just haven't for whatever reason, maybe it's time to start. Or maybe you've never felt that prompting, but man, you love this person and you know they're not in right standing with God. That person, I want us to all commit to this year coming up, to spending a year praying for that person, sharing intentionally with that person, inviting that person to church. You know, one influential pastor um, tweeted not too long ago that 82%, I don't know what study he was citing, but he said 82% of unchurched people say that they would accept an invitation to church, but only 2% of Christians invite people who are outside of the church. Y'all, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What would it look like if we seasoned our conversations with the people around us with the salt that we've been given, with the light that we've been given? What if we sowed seeds intentionally throughout all of our conversations and just allowed God to give growth where he gave growth? I'll tell you what would happen. <laughs> the world would be changed. Jesus said that the good soil produces a harvest up to a hundredfold. And I think he was actually underselling that because the truth is that if for the next 33 years you were to share faithfully, sow seeds faithfully, and each of those 33 years one person came to faith, one person, and then that person did the same thing and one person came to faith each year for them and so on and so forth. We've got a slide that we're going to put on, on the screens here. After 33 years, you would have seen 33 people 
come to faith just from your efforts. But through their multiplication, we would have gained 8,589,934,592 new Christians in the world, which is more than the current world population. And some of you are cynical. And I am cynical as well. And I look at that and I think, that's probably not going to happen just from my life. No matter how faithful I am for the next 33 years, chances are... 8 billion people are not going to come to faith starting from my efforts. But what if 1% of that number comes to faith? 1% of that number is 8.5 million people. If 1% of that happens in your, from your life, from your faithful shit, sowing seeds of the gospel, the world would be changed. And that's just one of us. What if us as a people of Harvest Church made this, this sowing the gospel, sowing the seeds of God's word with everyone we encounter, what if we became known as a church built up of people who were sharing the gospel faithfully throughout all of our lives? Y'all, the world, not just our, our immediate context here, the world beyond what we would ever see would be changed. Eternity would be changed in immeasurable ways because we sowed seeds the way that Jesus wanted us to sow seeds, because we were obedient to the call that he placed on our lives. We obeyed his great commission here. But that begins with intentionality. That begins with making a decision to live differently. Y'all, our families, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our schoolmates, they need the hope that we have received. They need the joy that we have received. They need the life that we have received. And we have it to give. We, we, we have this light that has been given to us if we just take the jar off of it so that the light can go throughout the rooms that we're in. We have that. And they need it. And so what I want to encourage us with today as we end our time together is for us to determine in ourselves that we are going to be sowers of seed the way that Jesus was sowers, a sower of seed. I want us to determine whoever that one person is in your life, and I, and I want you to intentionally think about who that is. Think about who that is. Put the face there and determine that you're going to pray for them. You're going to share with them. You're going to invite them. You're Not just once, but throughout this year. And see what God will do. We could all rest easily in, in the path of, of the first old man. We could all... Stay in our comfort zones, not risk anything, not see any reward, any success. And we could all come before Jesus and, of course, be saved, but be ashamed of squandering all of the opportunities that he gave us throughout our lives. Or we could take the other path and we could find ourselves standing before God, saying, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race I've kept the faith. I think that's who we all want to be. That's where we want to stand. That's how we want to stand before God. And so if that's not the way we're living today, 
I hope that when we leave from here, that will change. Let's pray. Father God, you are you're so worthy of our love and our adoration. You're so worthy of, of our praise, God. We, we repent for being apathetic. I repent for being apathetic, for being sometimes a lukewarm Christian who doesn't share my faith with people who, who don't know you, who, who's not saturating his conversations with, with truth about who you are, about your love, about your desire to be in a relationship with the world around me. God, I, I pray that you would forgive, forgive me for that. God, I pray that you would make us as Harvest Church a people uh, who, who is known by their love for Jesus, who's known by their, their desire to see the world around them change by the gospel. God, make us known as, as a people who love our neighbors and our families and our co-workers and our school workers, our schoolmates. We love them enough to risk our reputation, to risk our relationship with them, all for your name, God, and for their good, for their eternities. God, I pray that you would use us in our communities and that you would use our, our faithfulness to produce a harvest that is uh, far more plentiful, far more bountiful than anything we could imagine. God, I pray that you would um, allow us to see it, though. God, allow us to rejoice in what you do. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he, is, he has loved us and that while we were still sinners, he gave his life for us. God, he, he risked everything for the sake of saving us. And God, I pray that you would help us uh, to be willing to risk everything in our lives for the sake of seeing you save others. God, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.